This is Cinema Degeneration. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. We're not that different, Dick. I do not enjoy killing, but it's my job. Someone has to do it. Maybe. Me. The hobo with a shotgun. He didn't just eat their bodies. He ate their souls. And I joined in. I'm gonna sleep in your bloody carcasses tonight! I suggest aspirin for the headache. What headache? I'm surprised you don't have a grenade launcher. Couldn't get a permit. Because I cut off his legs. And his arms. And his head. And I'm gonna do the same to you. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears. <laughs> Nick Parker is quick as a snake, strong as a bull, not to mention blind as a bat. Nice doggy. What's your problem? You blind? Yeah. Holy he came for a friendly visit. Step aside, blind man. But his timing was a little off. Now, a young boy wants his guidance. Did you ever cry? The strong man is never afraid to cry. They've got him, don't they? Where's my son? He's here. He's fine. And the boy's father needs his help. Now, if you want to keep them that way... Unreasonable men make life so difficult. Shoot! The blind Zorro! If you can't handle it, get me somebody that can. Get me Bruce Lee! Bruce Lee is dead. He'd get his brother! Rutger Hauer. I also do... Circumcision. Blind Fury. Alrighty, folks, welcome once again to Cinema Degeneration's Rutger Hauer Appreciation Month. And we have a rarity for you th- this evening. Well, it's rare in the fact that Rutger Hauer wasn't uh, one much for comedy. He didn't do a whole lot of comedies, but this one is a big one. Uh, from 1989, we are going to be reviewing and dissecting Blind Fury. And my co-host and cohort in crime this evening is my buddy Eric Phillips. How are we doing? Good as ever. Yeah, um, I couldn't believe it when I when I asked you to come on the show. You know, we originally did a, a, a group discussion with Corey Dawson on Split Second here recently, which that episode will come out before this one. Uh, but when I mentioned Blind Fury, I was surprised. Uh, you you had never seen this before. You had probably heard of it, but I'm I'm gonna but I'm assuming, but you never had seen Blind Fury before. No, 
Um, I had never even heard of it, to be honest with you. You know, you mentioned Blind Fury to me. Blind Fury is a white rapper. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. On YouTube. And, yeah, and the dude can spit crazy. He, he's got mad skills, and, you know, he, he doesn't get near enough attention as he should. And I mean, he's legit blind and he's he's crazy when it comes to rapping. So that's who I knew Blind Fury as. And then you're like, no, it's this Rutger Hauer movie. You know, and and I immediately was like, OK, I got to watch this because you told me about what it was about and everything. And I'm like, how have I not fucking seen this? Yeah, you I, know, don't know how you, I don't know how you missed this one, man. Be especially honest. since like, you know, uh, the Hitcher. Um, you know, Tenth Kingdom is the Huntsman, Hobo with a shotgun. You know, all these fucking wanted dead or alive, Blade Runner. You know, yep, yep. Second, how did they not see Blind Fury? I don't know. It was right out there during the, the during all the, the height of the, the late eighties, early nineties, man. I don't know how you missed it, but was it? Was it? I could turn you on I, to it though. I didn't even see it on Up All Night, which is you know. That's where I found a lot of my friggin' wheelhouse movies was USA's Up All Night with Rhonda and Gilbert Godfrey. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so they were I, a lot of my school uh, film school education those years, formulative years. <laughs> right. So, so I completely missed it somehow. And so when you told me what it was about, immediately went out, found it, watched it, instantly loved it. I mean, it checks all the boxes for me. You know, when it comes to my action movies, you know, because like one of the big ones that were in my wheelhouse was like the Kickboxer series. Mm, one and yeah. Two, one and two, anyway. Uh, Bloodsport, uh, The Karate Kid, friggin' all, all those good friggin' fighting montages where, you know, you the, the person doesn't instantly kick ass. They train and they friggin' they show you how hard they train to go through and get these skills. And, you know, right this at checks the that box, doesn't movie, it? Yes, right at the beginning of the movie, they show you how bad this freaking guy has it because <laughs> his plane crashes. And the first line of his movie is, I can't see anything. Right. Yep. Flashback via flashback to the 1970s in Vietnam, and he is uh, bleeding from everywhere in the head. His blonde hair is streaked with that (laughs) blood everywhere. And water. Yeah. Just stumbling around in the war torn jungles of Vietnam, just completely uh, bleak fucking opening, but very efficient uh, training montage that we, we get there. But before we get into two too far into it we're getting into the movie already let me give the folks at home who have not watched this and if you haven't watched this my god what's the matter with you okay eric you've watched this i can let you off the hook now <laughs> but anybody at home who hasn't watched this god you really need to stop what you're doing right now watch the movie and then come back to us but yeah well i'm putting pinhead into overtime money man he's got to make that union money time and a half you know but anyways, uh, we're going to give the quick IMDb synopsis and then get off into our training montage in this movie. All right, Blind Fury, 1989, is as follows. A blind Vietnam vet trained as a sword fighter comes back to America and helps to rescue the son of a former fellow soldier. 
And that's pretty, you could say that's pretty much what what he decides to do. But <laughs> twenty years later, twenty years after the fact, you know, because it's all of a sudden this. They say it's supposed to be twenty years later, but it's more like you know, fifteen years later. I don't know. I have to get the timelines a little mixed up here. But uh, I, I love the the training montage that they have at the beginning. They show you just one how bad a shape he's in when the villagers find him, or I was to say when they they snare him in a in a in a bear trap. You know, uh, <laughs> you know that uh, or not a bear trap, but you know what I mean that that trap that they spring for him. But they get that training montage, and he gets to be pretty efficient with a sword. And a bit of trivia is that. Uh, Rick Rucker Hauer as Nick Parker trained with a real blind Judica uh, named Lynn Manning. And he trained with him for three months. And, uh, you know, he, he trained with a literal blind, blind man for this role. And, you know, let's face it. I mean, like Rucker Hauer has his sight for what, maybe 30 seconds in this movie in a flashback. And that's like it. But, uh, you know, in the training for the, this role, uh, when he trained for, you know, the uh, couple of months with this uh, fellow, Lynn Manning, and he had a quote from him. He said, the first thing he told me was, I don't get confused about what I see, which is nothing. And he trained with them every morning for 4.30 for a couple hours for several weeks before they shot. And uh, he was up, you know, shooting for a couple hours every morning, you know, not shooting, but uh, training for a couple hours every morning before, you know, the rest of the cast and crew would even show up. But, uh, you know, it has a weird transition. The director was Philip Noyce, who has 71 credits. He directed movies like The Bone Collector, Clear and Present Danger, Patriot Games, TV shows like... uh, Nightmare Cafe and others. He did a movie, a little movie called uh, Dead Calm. He was an Australian director before he made uh, this best, film. One of the best movies ever made was Dead Calm. Which oh, Dead know, Calm. You got to go see that as well. Dead oh Calm. yeah, that's a good one. That's the first movie I remember ever seeing Billy Zane in. Yeah, I think and, he did. <laughs> and he's quite the piece of shit in that movie, but he's very, um, for lack of a better term, charismatic. But you, it, that's kind of his so- thing. Is He's so good at being a slimy piece of shit. Well, there may be something to that, you know? <laughs> Think about it. Demon Knight, Titanic. He is a slimy piece of shit in both of those movies, too. Right, right. Oh, I always think of him from, from Titanic. He is the major asshole in that movie. Oh, yes, he is. But Demon Knight, that's my favorite movie with Billy Zane. That's one that's uh, we got to cover one day here soon. We got to cover uh, some Tales in the Crypt Demon Knight. But uh, yeah, he directed a lot of those movies. Um, he went on to direct a couple of the uh, the Jack Ryan uh, novels turned into movies, Patriot Games, Clear and Present Danger. But Ted Column was his uh, his previous movie to this. It was an Australian film, and this was his first uh, foray into working in America for Hollywood. But uh, you know, it's the '80s, so we get a little bit of a training montage, and then it's Miami twenty years later, and. I love the fact that this movie has humor that's never like, you know, you know, mugging for the camera, pointing at yourself and like, hey, look at me. This is funny. But it's like subtle things. He's walking down the, you know, down the side of the road. He knocks a can out of the way with his his cane. You know, he comes across across the turd. He he knows there's a, a dog turd on the side of the road. He hops over it. But then he mistakes the 
the alligator fur <laughs> and just just like nice doggy. Right? That's one of the fucking best openings I've ever seen, you know. It's so uh, it's such a great little just like this is okay, this is the ride you're in for, folks. It's a right. Vietnam vet that freaking crashed and he's the only survivor and he freaking got trained, so now he's this freaking badass swordsman who's walking down the street in Florida who can, you know, up oh, there's a can in the way, up oh, top over the dog turds, but there's the alligator. <laughs> <laughs> I, I reached out and pet him. Yeah, no shit. He'd uh, he'd uh, pulled back a stump. Right? Like, well, fuck. <laughs> that was a short fucking movie, Blind Fury. That's it. 15 minutes long. That's it. That's all you got. But uh, I, I think it just says something to the subtlety of uh, Howard's work of being able to pull off being so stoic and so silent, you know, basically kind of playing like a Shane type character one moment and then pulling off the, the kind of goofy humor the next. It's just, to me, I kept uh, saying this to myself as I was watching it this time around. It's, it's just kind of sad that he wasn't get, given more opportunity to do more comedy. Yeah. I, you know what? I, he, he really did get kind of a typecast, but, it just goes to show you what a fucking brilliant actor he was because, you know, comedy is hard. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I've it, tried being funny. I'm not. <laughs> you know, there's even times where I think I'm being funny and everybody else in the room is giving me that look like, you're a fucking asshole. <laughs> like, most yeah, people just look at me like I'm not an asshole. They just look at me like, you are an idiot, sir. <laughs> yeah. You're dumb. Uh, but hey, get it. But once we get past this opening, it's that it's the 1980s. So what are we going to do? We're going to get a gang of thugs to fuck with blind people and then assault some women while we're at it. Like he decides to stop at that like roadside diner and get himself a burrito. So what does the thug do? And kind of like fucks with them and is like, hey, you know, you want hot sauce on your burrito? You want mild or hot? So what do you do? He pour. He tells him he wants mild. Then he pours a half gallon of like. That was been the soupiest fucking burrito he'd have been wearing that shit. Yeah. But, and he takes a bite of it and tells him, nah, I need something a little more macho and kind of fucks with him. So the guy immediately goes in to start fucking with a girl that's walking by and t- tries to steal her purse. And I, I love the fuck part when he's just like, okay, you know, he's actually pretty. This is the part where I made the note that Howard's really spot on in betray- portraying a person with with no sight to playing a blind man. The the way he was able to unfocus his eyes and like most pe- people that just can't pull that off or at least pull it off to some, you know, you know, being legit, you know, be, having any kind of legitimacy and looking right. But you said that uh, you gave me a bit of trivia that I didn't know was that Howard was also um, I didn't know this, but he, in real life, he was colorblind. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Imagine that. I, just, I mean, you think about it probably made it a little bit easier to unfocus your eyes. You can kind of just focus on that area that doesn't quite come in the way it's supposed to. Right. <laughs> Where everything is just a varying shade of gray. Right. But, and so, you know, it'd make it and probably make it a little bit easier, but who knows, you know, that's just theory. Speculation, clearly. Oh, yeah. But I'm sure it probably helped a little bit. But then again, I don't know what you know. What do I know? <laughs> nice to fucking sit down and ask the man, but unfortunately he passed. And... Yeah, eh, it's sad in retrospect, but 
What a career he had, though, right? Oh, what, what an amazing career. And this fucking scene here where he takes out the uh, he takes out the group of three or four thugs, where he does it in such a way like he's accidentally, I'm using air quotes here again that you can't see, accidentally hitting the people with his his uh, walking stick slash samurai sword and hiding, just yeah, knocking people in the head. It's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Ooh, oh, oh, damn, I'm sorry about that. And then he's just knocking people's skulls together like a Three Stooges skit. It's it's uh, a type of fighting style called drunken bomb is what that kind of is. I mean, it's not exactly what it is, but that's where they're they're getting the idea of that from. And I mean, for a blind man, that would be fucking brilliant. And the funny thing is, is like. Howard kind of walks the fine line in this of being very hammy and very serious at times. You know, like he, in in that that fight scene, he's hamming it up just a little bit. You know, for for laughs. You know, this is where the comedy action aspect of it comes into. But then the next moment, he is walking silently down the street with his. Eight, he, he kind of almost looks homeless. He's got like eighteen layers of clothes on and and looks very dirty for somebody who's walking down. You know, the side of the fucking road. You know, in the middle of the you know, the Everglades in Florida, right? But but uh, this, he's trying to find his buddy Frank. He's trying to find you know uh, speaking uh, of which, Terry Terry O'Quinn. Uh, speaking of which, one thing you mentioned is that what he's what he looks like, what he's wearing on the side of the road. They also did a great job at wardrobe in the movie because he dresses like a blind man. Oh yeah, if you notice, there's no fucking no coordination to his outfits whatsoever outside of their company. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, just, it, it, he looks like somebody who was dressed by a blind man. And then again, he, he was. It's great detail. It's great detail. That's what makes great movies, is great detail. I like how his, like, the Walkman that he has with the headphones are always twisted up and the cord, cord is always tangled and everything else that he's got. Even though he never what? uses the damn Walkman, but it's always tangled up. Right? Just, well, how would you unstraighten it? <laughs> <laughs> how would he know how to or where it was? <laughs> you know, where it was. You can do it with feel to the most part, but, you know, how many times yeah. a day when you're using when are you going to fucking sit there and fiddle with that cord for 45 minutes just to get it straight perfectly? Or are you just going to just fuck it, put it to my ears? <laughs> long as it's not tied in so many knots that I can't get it to go from the player to my ears, I'm good. Right. Uh-huh. But this is where that has like a, a bit, <clears throat> the movie is kind of oddly edited a few times. It only happens a few times where it's like, they cut to, was it where a title card that says Reno, Nevada. And that's where Frank is uh, played by Terry O'Quinn. The same guy who played the, uh, I almost said Godfather, not the Godfather, the stepfather. And so good old Terry O'Quinn, you know, he's in this. And uh, Frank Devereaux, I think is his name. He's he's a chemist that's got a gambling problem. So, hey, Noble Wim- Wim- Willingham is in there. He's like, also a uh, lot from Lost. Yep, from Lost. And he's also in a new series, uh, uh, sporadically called Resident Alien, that's on Sci-Fi Channel. That's uh, just really good. <laughs> oh, you didn't like that? Uh, it's, uh, ah, it's okay. That's a show for another day. For those... Uh, Eric doesn't do sci-fi very much. I know. I know. I can hear the boos and hisses right now. I know. 
I'm sorry. I've never been into aliens. That much. I've always thought they were lame. Not that if you enjoy them, enjoy them. Go for it. I'm not saying you're a bad person because you do. I just, I, I, not my cup. It's just not your bag. Well, Terry Quinn's done a bunch of other stuff besides even that. But like, he was the the sheriff in Silver Bullet, you know, to to name a couple others. But Noble Willingham. But Noble Willingham plays McCready, not that McCready, not from the thing, but uh, McCready, the guy who's running a, a a casino that's on the chopping block. They're, they're putting it up for auction unless he can come up with an insane amount of money. So he gets this Terry Ter- O'Quinn's character, Frank, who was Nick's Parker's friend from Vietnam that they'd, you know, he had thought he had been uh, MIA for 20 years, you know, but now he's back and he's... Uh, you know, it's a little bit convoluted, but, you know, you, you get the gist of it, you know, but uh, Terry O'Quinn's character is a chemist, so they're going to get him to make some de- giant designer drugs. Because as they said, hey, designer drugs, they're as legal as whores and, uh, or no, hookers, they're as legal as hookers and lawyers in this state, which I thought that was a weird <laughs> analogy there, as legal as whores and uh, lawyers. So, hmm, okay, two of the same thing, I'm not sure. But anyway... So they're gonna, you know, they're sending some thugs to Frank's, uh, kid, you know, kid and uh, his wife's place, you know, because they're, they're, you know, their ex-wife, they're separated. But this is where Rucker Howard comes into play. He shows up at the house to kind of find Frank, not knowing the Frank and the, them are, you know, estranged. And this is where we get a very quick and very small role because she's only in this like one, two scenes. Meg Foster is Linda Rowe. It'd be the first time that they had uh, acted in a movie together, Rooker Hauer and Meg Foster, since they did the uh, Osterman weekend in like 82 or 83. So they were re- reunited for very, very small scene. Meg Foster, just amazing actress, but severely underused here, I think. I, I, I would like to see more of her. You know, but I think I understand why they did what they did, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Because you needed to have a sense of loss there for the kid when Randall Tex Cobb shows up, another great 80s actor. As uh, Randall Tex Cobb was in Uncommon Valor, uh, Big Trouble Little China. Not, no, not but Big Trouble Little China. The, uh, the Golden Child. Sorry. Sometimes I get those two mixed up. <laughs> but uh, I, I love when the little bastard kid... And I, I have to say this because the character, I mean, the, the actor is fine. Brandon Call that plays Little Billy is fine. But God, he plays such a little bastard where he's like, hey, Mr. Parker, nice to meet you, Mr. Parker. And he's flipping him off. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah like yeah, a little punk kid. But I love how Rick Howard just snatches his hand out of midair and he's like, oh, nice to meet you too, Billy. You know, is this going to show you that he knows what's going on more times than he doesn't, you know? Right. i tell you right, man. Like, I'll tell you something else too, folks. By the end of the, this movie, you'll—if you've never met a kid you want to kick down the steps before, this is the movie for you. Because yes. you will fucking this kid down the fucking flight of steps after you meet him. He's such a little prick. There's the one scene when he trips and falls and skins his knee while running it to the bus, and I'm like, I didn't find my, and he's crying. Oh, like, oh, my leg, it hurts. I'm just like, good, you deserved it, you little shit. <clears throat> I had a psycho too movement. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, I sort of fucker. <laughs> it's like, yep, couldn't happen to a nicer kid. Yep, couldn't have to a bigger asshole. What does uh Howard say to him at one point? He's like, I think he says something. He's like, You don't need air, you little fuck, or you little prick. <laughs> <laughs> 
right? But uh, we do get a pretty sad, somber moment here. You know, we, you know, once Rooker Hauer kind of reunites with uh, Lynn Devereaux, played by Meg Foster, they barely get a second to know each other. And he's like, hey, you expecting someone? She's like, no. Well, there's somebody at the door two seconds before somebody knocks. It's a couple of guys who are, quote, unquote, air quotes again here, folks, cops. But they're not cops. They're there basically to kidnap little Billy. They bring Randall Tex Cobb in, who was supposed to be an, an undercover inspector. <laughs> he, he, he looks he looks like somebody that belonged to the Memphis Mafia that used to like bodyguard for like Elvis on the weekends is really, really, really looks like. But uh, I love the whole the, how precise Nick is with everything, but like how awkward he is at the same time in these fight scenes. You know, he he gets everybody like you know uh, when he gets everybody together when he first makes that has that moment when he stands in between you know little Billy and, and the bad guys and they're like you know you want to move out of the way and he's like. Just simply, no, no big one-liners. He's just, like, so calm. Just no. And he cuts off the guy's hand who continues to fire bullets as the hand falls down. Kind of like a predator moment. Right. Oh. But I love, like, the the way he works. And, like, he cuts off uh, uh, old Randall Tex Cobb's uh, cigar in half. And he's, like, you know, and he tells him, he's, like, that butter knife ain't going to stop no bullet. And that will come into play later on. But uh, I think this is something I got to mention here, at least at this point in my notes, I had it written down where it's this movie I thought was a great opportunity for Howard to do two things that he did very well. One, One thing that I didn't know he did very well, which was to be fucking funny. Because he was so very rarely given the opportunity, again, I'm just reiterating what I said earlier, to do comedy. So that's one thing he does very well here. But one thing that is like in his wheelhouse is to use his hands for everything, you know, because since he has to unfocus his eyes and he can't make eye contact with anybody and he can't really show, you know, the kind of emotion that you would be given with somebody who's reacting to stuff that they're seeing, he uses his hands because I've always said he's a very hands-on kind of actor, touching things and playing with objects and people. And and I think this movie, being that it's a, a blind man that he's portraying, it's just, you know what I mean, played into something very big that's in his wheelhouse. It really it, it made it believable, right? It, you know, when you watch Blind Fury, you know one of the things that if you uh, Google Blind Fury, uh, you know how it'll ask say similar questions that people asked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one of the things is like a lot of people have apparently asked, "Is Rutger Hauer really blind?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that tells you right there that that's pretty sellable. That you know that if so many people Googled. The question, if Rubber Hauer is brined because of this movie, you know, that's some pretty damn good acting. <laughs> I would ag- I would agree, because if enough people didn't know, like, had, must have just seen this movie and nothing else that he was in. You know, it makes me wonder, just like, wouldn't you re- realize that he wasn't blind by watching him in the other 170-some-odd movies that he had been in? Did you not recognize the, the same dude from Blade Runner? It's the same dude. <laughs> <laughs> Lady Hawk. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. one to dead or alive. Come on, people. Yeah. Uh, it's not a before or after split second. It's the same year. Um, 
Split Second was 91, wasn't it? Oh, maybe it was 91, 92. 92, 92 it was. So this was th- uh, okay, so, this yeah. three years previous to that. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, poor, poor Nick, or not poor Nick, poor Billy. His mom gets shotgunned to death right in front of him. Well, not, not necessarily in front of him. That's the, that's a misquote on my part. Little, yeah. little Billy gets knocked out, and then he gets shot. You know, she gets shotgunned. You know, in the process, and Nick trying to take out all these fake cops. And I love how the fact that the they do have a newspaper clipping that you know Frank Devereaux finds all the way out in Reno that has you know mother slain, child missing, two cops dead, and everything. So even they got the local pay, on the local news has made it all the way out to Reno. So if you can believe that, you'll believe the fact that the cops never once ever catch up to Nick, catch up to Billy, and ask them what the hell happened, why the the you know the the cops, the dirty cops, ended up dead, or why the you know Billy's mother was shotgunned. Well, it, say it with me, folks. We've said this term plenty of times on other shows. Jiffy Pop cops, they're white, yeah. they're blurry, and they go down easy. Yes, yes, they do. They are and they do. But, uh, yeah, it, like I said, if you can believe the fact that, you know, half the stuff that goes on in this movie goes on in this movie, I guess you can believe the fact that the cops never catch up to, you know, Nick and Billy. So we'll just have to let that go. It's the 80s. Your suspension of disbelief is going to have to go quite a far stretch for this one, especially when we get to the car chase sequence, which we will get to shortly. Uh, I do I do like the one part where he actually chops the hand off and the hand falls down and then pulls the trigger on the gun. Like, that's just, that's just great yeah, shit. It, it is. It's, just, it's so tongue-in-cheek, but it's so great. Uh, but... Uh, you know, we get kind of a flashback, you know, later on once, you know, there's some hijinks with, uh, you know, Howard's character and little Billy. You know, he's trying to get, you know, Billy to Frank. You know, he's trying to get Billy to his father. And we get that flashback and you really realize, like, you're kind of wondering why, you know, Nick is trying to get back to Frank in the first place. Why he was trying to do that to, to ease Frank's mind. And, you know, in the end, you find out he's like, hey, I had to find you and tell you that it was OK. You know what happened? You really think about it when they show the flashback to what happened in, you know, uh, Vietnam when they got ambushed. You know, Frank deserts them. Yeah. Like, Frank's kind of a dickhead. It's kind of his M.O. He deserts, you know, Nick out in the jungle. Nick gets wounded, gets left behind for 20 years and, you know, goes blind. And he also abandoned his kid, you know, and left his wife. So, I mean, Frank is not necessarily a good guy. I'm Like, that's the one thing this movie does not do too well in, in, in making the Frank character any kind of uh, sympathetic at all. Right, because like, okay, once this kid turns 16, Frank's going to go out for a pack of cigarettes and never come back again. Right, right. No, that's bound to happen. Just like he did the first fucking time. He's like, yeah, oh, you have- just what I wanted, my fucking kid. You know, if I wanted him here, Nick, I'd have fucking not left him there. <laughs> right thanks for bringing this little bastard kid to me that i didn't want in the first place you know not saying he's right folks but i'm just saying you know <laughs> that's his his mo his mo is to leave the people he cares about behind and i think this is the point where we can actually say something about the sequel that was never made there was a sequel that was being written during post-production for this that they were going to make 
and the movie coming I, out and bombing never happened. I had heard they had wanted to make this an actual like ongoing series with Rudger Horror as Dick. But yeah, you know, because I mean, at the end, he's, you know, a uh, little bastard uh, Billy ends up calling him, you know, Uncle Nick, I almost say Grandpa Nick, but <laughs> Uncle Nick. And, you know, it was based off of uh, some earlier screenplays of some Japanese films that I forgot what the series was. But uh, it was, you know, an ongoing uh, series about, you know, a blind swordsman that, you know, kind of went along and did, uh, you know, wandered in like the... You know, like a gunman in, in town and solved uh, crimes. Hold on. I I know which I, I fucking know it too because I know the series. I'm I got a fucking I thought I had written it down, but apparently I had not. But uh, that also like but I was gonna say that would have led into like with a sequel would have Frank had abandoned Billy at 16 and then Nick would have had to swoop back in to take care of him. You know, I don't know. That would, I would have liked to have seen where this would have went. It, it, it's so deserving of having a couple of sequels. It could have been a franchise and should have been a franchise, but unfortunately we got just the one. But uh, when we get to, you know, to, to closer and closer, they're getting to, to Reno the closer and closer the Slag character is getting to them. And there's a couple of moments where Slag and the Pike brothers, which are played by uh, Nick Cassavetes as Lyle Pike and Rick Overton as Tector Pike. Then they're two very, um, <laughs> I was going to say, would you say deliverance type uh, level of intelligence types guys? I mean, they're really. Well, yeah. If these brains were dynamite, these two couldn't boil their nose. <laughs> right. But they're good. I mean, they're they're good characters. They play the roles really well. Nick oh. Cassavetes is a complete <laughs> asshole. There's a uh, there's a scene when it's not even. Uh, I don't think it's one of the Lyle brothers or one of the the, the Pike brothers. But um, when they're in, when Billy runs away from Nick, when Nick tells him, you know, that his mom's dead, you know, that you know he's lied to him and that his mom's been dead ever since they left the house. And he runs off into the cornfield. And we get those couple of, uh, of hit guys that show up with Slag trying to kidnap Billy and kill Nick out in the cornfield. Very Children of the Corn-esque. But there's a character that I got. I wrote down the name. His name was Popcorn in the movie. Because they called the three guys Popcorn, Six Pack, and Snowball. But Popcorn is a guy who's got a shotgun, but he's eating a bag of popcorn at the time. The actor's name was Weasel. So Weasel played Popcorn. I just, I, I think that just bared mentioning, man, that the, yeah. they got a guy named Weasel yeah. Forshaw. Yeah, wow. That sounds like a fucking stage name. Like, uh, there's a bunch of them in uh, Forbidden Zone. There's one guy billed as Ugg Fudge Moana. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, but we almost, I almost forgot to mention where they run into when they get back to when Nick brings um, uh, Billy back, you know, or gets him to Reno. And there's the character of Annie, who is played by the beautiful and talented Lisa Blount, who passed away quite a few years ago. Gone to the she was she passed away in her early 50s. She was gone way, way too soon. She uh, was actually the played the lead in uh, a couple of movies I really like, but one in particular, uh, Prince of Darkness. 
she was the the lead the girl that got sucked into the mirror at the end and uh just um you know great great actors gone way 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 too soon but uh, she's kind of working with <clears throat> uh the McCready character and slag and kind of she is uh frank's girl i guess you could say but she's kind of working with them to get him trying to convince him to make these designer drugs that it looks an awful lot like the blue blue meth from fucking baking uh, breaking bad almost baking bad right yes. they lifted that a little bit just a, just a lit yeah just I, a little bit i mean it, it could be uh, uh but uh, that that film series that you were talking about was it zatoichi Yes, yes, that is it. The tale of Zatoichi or something like that. Yeah, it said they made like, uh, got a couple dozen of them or something. Um, it says here that it was the seventeenth film that was remade as Blind Fury. Yep, yep. Well, so there's at least sixteen films of Zatoichi. See, we could have had sixteen Blind Fury movies, man. We could have had. Uh, I could have had. I, I want to get back into the multiverse theory of things where we got a multiverse uh, universe where we actually have, you know, 16 or 17 Blind Fury movies. Right. But, uh, yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, we only got one. But I had to mention the, the popcorn guy, Weasel. Sorry, pop, Popcorn, Weasel, whatever your name is. But you were the weakest link. You were the weakest link. <laughs> Yeah, you know what he's doing now? Probably standing in a fucking bread line with a name like Popcorn. Yeah. Or Weasel. Uh, or weasel. His name is Weasel. His character is Popcorn. Yeah. When, 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 your, when your biggest claim to fame was that you were in three episodes of Walker, Texas Ranger, he might be in a bread line somewhere. He, who else referred to themselves as a weasel and is now a fucking watchful piece of shit? Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh shit! Uh, now I gotta ask: Do you have a favorite? Uh... <laughs> Comedy's hard, but it's not that hard. <laughs> now I gotta ask: Do you got a favorite sub character in this movie besides Nick? You know, oh, I do, but I don't think they ever say his name. He's the big fucking dude. The uh, he's a wrestler too, and I can't fucking think of his name. Oh, the guy that was the uh, one of the bodyguards. Yeah, the casino. Uh, that was a uh, Tiger Chung Lee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not given. He hasn't given a whole lot to do. Unfortunately, yeah, he's not, it's so underutilized, man. Like, how do you look at this man's background, see what he can do, and then you just make him stand there? And then, pull out a newsie at one scene come on man yeah hey but you know then that butter knife ain't gonna stop no bullet <laughs> uh uh i think the sickest scene the biggest what the fuck moment in this is when lyle and tector uh the pike brothers they kidnap nick they kidnap billy they got him in the back of the back of their work truck their work van and they're they're trying to get loose they're setting some shit on fire in the back and what does lyle do is he runs he finds out that the that his walking stick has a you know a sword hidden in it he runs his thumb down it cuts it and then forces 
Annie to do what as he po- as he poses a question to her to lick my wound. The grossest yeah. scene ever. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. The fucking phrasing of that alone is just fucking gross. I mean, lick my wound. First, first and foremost, if if you're saying that as a dude, it comes off creepy and weird. Right. If you're saying that as a girl, it comes off even worse. It's just, oh, it's just <laughs> bad, bad phrasing. Oh, oh yeah, because just man, that's just like. It, she bites his thumb and then he gets off on it, which is even grosser. It's just kind of, uh, but uh, I, I just I wrote down here. I'm like, that's how you get fucking hepatitis, man. Right. Amongst other things. They're an AIDS epidemic, too. Yeah. No, no. I think the Did funniest you see scene. That quilt everybody sewed. Stop doing that shit. <laughs> Now, I think the funniest scene of this movie is not even one that has Rucker Hauer in it. It's when uh, they make the escape Hauer, you know, uh, Nick does, Andy does, and Billy does, and they make their escape in the in the in the van after they knock out both uh, Lyle and, and Tector. And Lyle and Tector flag down the the people driving by on the interstate, and they try to steal the car from the two little old ladies, and the little old ladies pulls out like a big like dirty harry style 44 magnum and blows the back window out <laughs> and detector's like yeah that's one reason why i always vote for gun control <laughs> bitches are crazy <laughs> see right. the that hair cannon <laughs> That had crippled her. I, I'm pretty sure that would have thrown her shoulder out of socket. That, but it was great. It was it was hands down the funniest exchange of the movie. And there is a, a brilliant piece of of uh, again the fucking greatness is in the details. That scene just before that happens where they throw the sword, uh, the walking stick out the window. Uh, he starts telling him to count backwards. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he does do that, doesn't he? Yeah, which is pretty damn smart. Yeah, it's just kind of like, you know, everything he does is done in steps, so he kind of figures, you know, getting those beats back, so when he drives back, he knows exactly where to look to find his cane. You know, I don't think Annie has any idea why the cane's so important, but it's like, it's kind of like a gunslinger being without his six-shooter, you know? I mean, Nick without his samurai sword is not, I wouldn't say that he's useless, but he's kind of, you know out on his own without it. Right. Marty Robbins can't sing about you if you don't have a fucking piece. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm just saying. You didn't hear any fucking trail songs about the cowboy that didn't have a fucking gun? No, because he was dead. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> that motherfucker, he got shot. He got shot and killed. That's what happened to him. He got quick. And what happens next, next Eric? What's the, the the next thing that we got to have in a movie about a blind man with a sword? We got to have a, a car cha- chase with a blind man driving. <laughs> right? One of the greatest decisions ever made. Let's let the blind guy drive. Uh, I'd be no. more comfortable with the little shit in the fucking behind the wheel than the fucking blind man. Oh, that's... But it's funny. It's... Maybe and, it's not appropriate, but it's fucking funny as all hell. You know, you couldn't get that such a great line that you hear fucking people shouting from the cars every now and then. What are you, blind? Yeah. 
what's your problem? Yeah. <laughs> and I like that guy that looks at him. He's like, oh, shit. And he's like, I'm going to just hang back and get the fuck out of here. Maybe I better slow down and let this guy fucking get ahead of me in the lane. Yeah, I'm going to keep an eye on this guy from way back here. Now, I, I can't remember how many says a car uh, stunts uh, for the um, said they use 15 different stunt drivers for the, the car chase scene where he makes the turn and he goes the wrong way down a wrong one way street. But, so they actually shot that during during one of the main streets in Reno, Nevada, and like literally drove the, the van down the wrong way. And it was a very complicated scene, but it was done pretty it was done pretty well, but there is a moment, and I want to get your thoughts on this, but why didn't they cut Rooker Hauer's really weird laugh in the middle of it? You know which one I'm talking about? When he does that weird, you know, cacaw kind of, like, laugh in the middle of it. Like, he's so excited that he's, like, driving a, a car, you know, while everybody else is telling him what to do. Because even the girl who, her glasses gets broken, she can't drive without her glasses. So the, the, what's the next best thing to do is to have the blind man drive. But it's like, he lets out the weirdest laugh in the middle of this car chase. I, I, I don't know what was up with that when that aesthetic just seems to me like a weird three seconds that they just could have cut out. I don't know. I find it charming. It's charming, but it's very <laughs> weird. I think he's just so overjoyed with the fact that he's driving a car that he's blind. It's like, this, can you believe this shit? It's like, it's probably the most fun he's had in years, I imagine. <laughs> I did say so. But it's just, I don't know. But blind man driving hijinks, it was the 80s, t- folks. It's just a different time. If you if you weren't there, you just wouldn't understand. But uh, I think it's just his father when they finally get to... Um, they get to the casino. I call this the chaos at the casino scene when they're like, when uh, Rucker Howard infiltrates the place and he's, he's betting and he's winning left and right and left and right. And what do they do? They bring in a new dealer who brings in some, brings in a magnetic ball with his little thing in his, his handkerchief. That's, you know, beeping that Rucker Howard hears because he's got heightened senses. And so he exposes it, the casino. Yeah. As I said, they had such great. This is what makes it such a great movie. You know, it's it's such, it's so easy to like. I saw the box art for this, you know, and it made me think back to, you know, the, the fucking days of the freaking video stores, set limited selection. But like I said, there was in my area, in my neck of the woods, there was three places. There was freaking Midwest Video, which. Good luck finding anything about that. It doesn't even exist. It's been erased into oblivion. And there was video. Well, review. Most of them have. Most of those mom and pop stores have, yeah. unfortunately. Video review was another mom and pop store that, but they were the friggin', they were the friggin' bells of the ball when it came to the movies. And then uh, it was like Circuits Video, which I think was a chain, one of the first chains, but they were really, really expensive. And my mom refused to go there, so didn't even get to have the option of that one. So I got stuck with two places. <laughs> and Midwest Video was the closest one for the longest time, and it was such a shithole. <laughs> That's how most of them were back then, from the ones that my uncle took me to when he would rent videos and stuff. And like, I would that was family thing for a while was written videos <laughs> and for the longest time these places were just 
dirty hole in the walls ran by freaking questionable people. <laughs> Most of them were back then, yeah. Yeah, this place in particular always smelled of cigarette smoke. And the friggin', like I said, you walked in, the, the front door didn't work. You had to go in through the back door alleyway. You got through the back door alleyway, and immediately the cigarettes will hit you. And on the left of the, uh, to the left of you were the video games, and it was like maybe 15 Nintendo games. Big and selection then, back then, right? Yeah, big selection. Then it was children's videos, then romance, comedy, the entire friggin' back wall to the left-hand side was friggin' action. So there was a ton of action movies, but back then, action was not just action, it was action, western, sci-fi, anything that didn't fall into, like, a romance, comedy, category, drama category. Right, right. <laughs> Even back then, drama was drama romance. It wasn't, <laughs> you know, it wasn't, this shit wasn't friggin' blockbuster video. <laughs> You know, uh. and then you would wrap around the corner from that, and there's this big empty space where there was just like a fucking bunch of old fucking <laughs> cash registers that from like the 1840s that didn't work. What so. <laughs> <laughs> like does? And then the wall was the horror section, which if we were lucky had maybe 20 videos of horror. And then there was the Jack Shack, which oh, the door was always open, which was creepy because you could see directly into the Jack Shack from the fucking children's section. <laughs> it, sounds like you're, it sounds like you're describing almost every other like mom and pop video store I had ever been to. Right? It's like, what's the point of having an adult room in a closet if you're going to leave the closet door open? Right, right. Yeah, I guess it's so nobody fucking goes in there to use it as an actual check. Nobody was like, hey, what's going on? Oh, fucking customers just checking in his bank bank right now. Closing the door while he checks out a movie. That motherfucker never rents. Oh, man. That's yeah. some, the one thing I don't miss about the video stores of those old days was some right. of the... And people wonder why Blockbuster got so popular. It's right, right. What is that shit? Uh, now there's no more Blockbuster or no more family video, man. It's all gone. It's fucked up. Yeah, now we but have... So, so what, uh, th that one even then back then didn't, didn't uh, have uh, Blind Fury, huh? No, they didn't, which, you know, I'm like I said, not surprised, you know, that was back when VHSs were not popular to own on home video for $20 a piece. VHSs were $60 and up a piece. And fuck that. <laughs> oh, I remember when some of them were, you know, upwards of $90 to $100 a pop where you had to pay for them. Oh, That's yeah. just insane. Like, you remember when Stephen King's It came out on VHS for the first time? Oh yeah, that thing was like what, two, shit. two, 
two or three t- tape set? Yeah, it was a two tape set, and that son of a bitch was like seventy five ninety nine or something. First time you had to order it through the TV. Fuck you. Yeah, now you can buy it for fifty cents at a fucking you know resale shop, right? I actually picked up a copy of uh, Blind Fury once at a uh, at a Goodwill a couple of years ago for ninety nine cents. I think it was best ninety nine cents I ever spent. Yeah, who the hell who the hell drops off Blind Fury at Goodwill? What the hell's wrong with you? I can <laughs> see the notebook. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, that's a one and done, man. Who was like, eh, you gotta watch this film with me. <laughs> okay, I'll watch it. Was I that even it. released on VHS? Jesus Christ, I watched it. I don't oh, know. gosh. I don't know if it was on VHS. I might have been still DVD days, but Fucking I could see it. And that's a one and damn done. Right. I didn't want to own that motherfucker. It's so fucking depressing. Some people like that shit. Some people want to get I, depressed. I, I say, man, I fucking I don't get that shit. I want to sit on the couch and eat Hagen Doss until my ass is fat and cry for twelve hours while watching something horribly depressing that's only going to make me feel worse. Why? <laughs> I don't. I think I that's the question. Like shit all the time. <laughs> uh, I don't want to be happy. Depression sucks. Yeah, why watch shit that's going to make you literally more depressed? I'd rather watch something like Blind Fury that something's going to excite me, you know. <laughs> fucking giggle. I'm sad enough. Yeah, well, let's watch a blind man drive, you know. That that, that sounds like a good time to me. <laughs> oh, that's great shit. I love what he... We're backtracking a little bit here, folks, but I love getting back to the, the scene where he just has that moment of realization that he stops the whole car chase within inches of crashing into a wall and has the revelation that, you know, maybe I should get my license again. Like, no, no, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you should definitely not. No, Nick, stop it. Stop. I'm, I'm on your side with about everything else, Nick, but not that, not that at all. If Billy would have beat him with a rolled up newspaper after he said that, I don't fucking allowed that one. I would have, that would have been one time I'd have been like, you know, Billy, I'm on your side here. And you know what? Just for the record, Billy, when he grows up, doesn't get any better. He's still a little shit. And if you want proof, watch step by step. <laughs> he never did really grow up very much, did he? No, he didn't. <laughs> oh shit! We digress. We digress, folks. Let's back, back, <laughs> back to the movie. Oh shit! I forgot where we left off. Chaos, chaos at the casino. This is where your boy. Um, uh no, oh, the fucking wrestler that, that uh, came into it, but I got it. but yeah, he uh <laughs> when the the the, the two uh, Pike brothers get in there and they have the stupidest moment. It's a funny moment because Rick Overton and Nick Cassavetes are great. You know they they know what they're doing. You know they're good comedic, good character actors, so they know they're there for the. Uh, you know, the, the comic relief when they get in and they simultaneously take a phrase as stupid as saying shit fuck simultaneously and make it funny was fucking just com- comedic gold right there. Yeah. When they get into the elevator where they're tra- they're playing elevator tag trying to race up the meeting. <laughs> and, they, and it's like, 
when he says something about it's like, oh, great, who fucking pushed basement? And they all just turn and look at Lyle. And he just kind of shrugs, just like, hey, well, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and the best one-liner of any fucking uh, movie that's not a canon movie, because this was not a canon movie, but it should have been a canon film, was uh, when Nick Parker says to, uh, oh, uh, I forgot the actor's name that plays Cobb, that... Uh, you know, Cobb, the guy that's McCready's kind of like right hand man, the guy that looks like uh, Colonel Sanders without the beard. Oh, uh, I forgot who played him. Charles Cooper. That's it. Charles Cooper. Yeah, okay. When he says to him, he's like, I suggest aspirin for that headache. And he's like, What headache? And he ch- jumps up on the table. And, yeah. Knocks him the fuck out. Right. Oh, but this is where I had a point. I kind of glossed over it that they had left. Um, Annie and, uh, you know, Billy with her friend Colleen at the trailer when he when uh, Nick goes to, you know, bust uh, Frank out of the, the casino. And he does, you know, not before they set the place on fire and destroy the drug, drug den where he was making the, the designer drugs. They get back and Colleen's this poor lady is just sitting there shot in the fucking head in one scene. And the next scene, she's just a she's a corpse sickle. <laughs> you know, like poor heart Car- Colleen, man, just like letting her friend stay there and get sh- shot in the head for her troubles. We hardly knew you, Colleen. Right. Great friend you got there. Yeah. Glad they took care of you, right? Glad you opened up your house to him. Friends like that, who fucking needs enemies? Oh, well, not yeah. you. You're dead. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. Oh, so what Never. happens now? What happens now? Like what happens in every 80s action movie? Billy and Annie get kidnapped, of course, because you know that's what's going to happen. But when they have to take that ski lift or that tram system or whatever it is, what the hell it's called, that's where I made a note. I'm like, okay, much like in Nighthawks, which also starred Rucker Hauer, you would not get me up in one of those lifts. No way, no how. I, that was the only way to get it in and out of the ski lodge. Then fuck it, I'm not making to the lodge. Let those motherfuckers stay kidnapped. I don't, I don't want no part of being in one of those lifts. Right, That's, my fucking Nelly alarm went off when I fucking went on one of the fucking high rides at Six Flags. You think you're gonna get me up a fucking mountain? <laughs> yeah, good fucking luck. Yeah. mountain climbing, and I don't fucking fly. Nope, I don't ski. I don't mountain climb. I don't fly. No, <laughs> nope. If God wanted me to fly, he'd have fucking put fucking wings on the back of my fat ass. <laughs> I agree with the the old phrase that God wanted us to fly, you buy the tickets. But uh those lifts, yeah, fuck that. That movie the movie would have ended right there and then like, well, Frank, guess you're on your own. Your kid's gonna stay kidnapped. See you later. Been nice knowing you. Right. Well, you, you found my one weakness. <laughs> fuck <Ice>. this. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <coughs> nope. And this is where I made the point where I made a note. We are getting to the last act of the movie. You're getting into act three here. Uh, and it's a brilliant third act. I think it really comes together in the end. But this is where I made the point where I, I don't know if you'll agree with me on this, but like it, it's not a problem with the movie. I have a few very minor complaints. I mean, I, I've been loving this movie since we started reviewing it. But this is one minor complaint I would have was the movie needed more Randall Tex Cobb. I think the slag character was really, really good and an- added an interesting dynamic. I didn't know if the if you agreed with 
with me on that or not. Like I thought the movie could use more of him. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of people that were underutilized in this movie. That too many they, bad guys, too, too many soldiers, so to speak. Yeah, yeah there was there was too many well acted uh, people out there that could have been utilized way more that were just underused because they just wanted that that look. Which I mean, okay, I get it. You're going for that '80s action look, and you want the bad guys to look like bad guys and stuff. But don't get the fucking ultra bad guys in every fucking movie. Right, right. If I like that, I expect some epic level shit to go down. And he underutilized them. Yeah, they got a couple of really good guys to play some bad guys, and they underutilized them. And that's... And that's uh, another point I have that somebody who's sadly underutilized in here, and I haven't brought him up yet. And um, I'm going to be I'm talking about Sho Kasugi, you know, yeah. m- motherfucking ninja assassin, ninja three, the domination, revenge of the ninja, enter the ninja. <laughs> you know, we're even going to bring up, up that he was in Bruce Lee fights back from the grave or bad news bears goes to Japan. Like this motherfucker's a legend. Right. And, and so underutilized. Just yeah, for- sadly underused. It's like you could have. You could have stretched him out and hyped him up so much more. And, oh, it just, I mean. Like, for instance, as much as I like Nick Cassavetes and Rick Overton as the, the Pike brothers, I like them. I like their characters. But you could have cut them out of the movie entirely and just had it been Shokasugi, you know, as the assassin and slag. It could have been it. I, would have, I think it would have made the movie even that much better. Yeah, tight. Uh, they really needed to tighten up their, their their bad guy organization because it was just like it looked. You know what it looked like to me? It looked like fucking Boss Hog and a bunch of fucking '80s villains. Yeah, like the eighty, like the who's who of '80s villains. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like I said, I'm, I think it'll surprise you where I'm coming in ratings wise on this movie. We're not quite there yet, given our rating, but we're almost there. But uh, you know, but that the, that's two little minor gripes that I have in an ending that I feel like is already almost not, maybe not so much perfect, but it's just shy of being perfect. If you know what I mean? Because when we get into act three, I mean, it's a, it's a basically one big brilliant blind man action fest. It's just, you know, uh, every little bit of this, how they infiltrate the place. I even like how Frank and Nick work together, you know, like when, like for instance, when, you know, Nick gets them all in the, in that one room and they're all circling around Nick and they're going to like, you know, they're going to take him out. Frank turns out the lights to give, you know, uh, Nick the advantage. And when he gets them all in the dark, that's bravo, man. That whole scene, it goes on for about three straight minutes of just nothing but slice and dice sword play. I don't know about you, but I feel like it's very well done and wildly choreographed. It looks really, really good. It sh- it's really shows how physical like uh, Rucker Howard could be at the time. Yes, I he they kept trying to put Rucker Howard in these like Terminator roles because of Blade Runner, and it was like, look, this man has more to his wheelhouse. Look at some of the other films that he did before Blade Runner. Oh, yeah. Because he was just because Blade Runner became super fucking popular, you know, 
Well, I think it was just because it became so iconic at the time, you know, again, you know, it was a critical failure, but it became so huge after the fact. They kept trying to adapt it to that. Mm -hmm. It's like, no. Even Split Second, as much as I know we both love that movie, it was guilty of the same thing. Oh, yeah, exactly. I 100% agree with that. (laughs) <laughs> I, I yeah. can forgive it for it, but it's just I like can't you know. because it's one of the times, like I said, it's one of the like I said it in a split second. It's split second is that movie that for everything that happened, it shouldn't work, but for some reason it does. Right, right. Yeah, I think what it was is just that uh Rutger Hauer unfortunately got pigeonholed into these sci-fi action fests. Well, that, I think you know that too, because this is coming off 1989. This is the Height of the action movie genre when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, martial arts and and fighting montages and stuff like yeah, buddy cop flicks so and the like. It's it's all well. It started going. It stopped going from martial arts used to be the thing because you had Samurai Saturday and friggin', you know, or. Shogun Sunday, or depending on what area and when you grew up, there was always that fucking channel that was playing like fucking seven or eight movies all day long of just. Oh, I remember Kung Fu Fridays on Channel 32 back in the day. Kung Fu Fridays and stuff like that. There, there was all kinds of shit like that back in the day, and that's because it was at the height of it, and it started going into the buddy cop stuff with Lethal Weapon. And it started moving away from the action film. So this movie is right in that crevice where they were popular, but they were starting to decline. And this guy just came over from Australia, saw what American action movies were about, probably watched a bunch of them, friggin' focused what he wanted it to look like on that. And that's where we get this weird kind of off-balance look of the movie but it still works but there are some odd specs to it like the bad guys it's like okay yeah you've got every fucking bad guy here from the 80s dude trim it down a little bit yeah it's it's committing the they committed the same kind of movie sins that i say like a lot of the new marvel movies commit and having too many bad guys you know it's not so much that uh you know, a movie has to have one bad guy, one good guy, but it's like, do you need actually eight different villains for the main bat for the your hero to fight? You know, I can see two or three, but it's uh, it's it's just over it's overkill. I think what started that too is like, if you think about it, they fucking made Batman. Batman fucking nineteen eighties was one of the biggest action movies that they did. They really didn't think was going to do all that good, and it fucking blew up. So when Batman Returns came out, they had to have two villains. And then yep. when Batman next movie came out was but two, three years later as well. And then it was three villains. <laughs> and the same thing with the Spider-Man movies. It was two villains, three villains, four villains. All at the same movie. It's like you get so many villains in there that you're not getting any story time. You're just getting convoluted shit and you're rushing through it and Things yeah, it gets to you. be more style. It's getting to be style over substance. It's just like, okay, we got all these colorful bad guys, but you don't get a chance to 
I want to get to know the characters, whether they be good guys or bad guys, you know, but like, how do you get a chance to know the characters when there's six different villains? And right. This, I I think what I think honestly, what his look was going for was he was going for the ultra eighties action movie and he put every bad guy in there and then he gave every bad guy, your standard bad guy guns. We're going to have bad cowboys, grease shit kickers with, switchblade knives and and pistols and then we're gonna have the fucking the casino thugs with the uzis and we're gonna have the shit kickers with this with the freaking rifleman guns it's like okay and then okay. we got slag with his like c- cigar chomping with this pump action shotgun because he's got to be the big guy you know the big bad guy like that fucking that scene where the lift goes up and they just fucking tear it shreds with all the fucking guns as all the bad guys lined up. Right, that, right. It's like, first and foremost, let's not steal from the Godfather. Okay? <laughs> right. I, I've seen the Godfather, sir. Come on. Secondly, it's like, a, a, that scene in particular looks like a freaking eight-year-old is sitting in the director's chair. I, I agree. And, and here's why. Okay. Our hero who's blind is a swordsman. He's going to go up the mountain. And up at the mountain, all the super bad guys from the 80s movies are there waiting for him with guns and they open fire and they turn this thing into Swiss cheese. But then he pops out unharmed. <laughs> Come on, dude. Yeah, I, I, well, my, my thought of this is that was the one ski lift that comes back and forth into that place. Didn't they just destroy their only way to get back? Right. By shooting the shit out of it, turning it into Swiss cheese. I'm just, just saying, I'm like, you know, it's kind of like in a movie where I've noticed where you got the bad guys are circled around, you know, a hero or a good guy of sorts, and they're in a circle, and they start shooting at them, but the people on the opposite sides of the circle aren't getting hit by the, you know, the collateral damage bullets that are flying in the air. Right. <laughs> like, wait a minute. You would, um, you you might miss and hit that some bitch. You hit your buddy sitting behind you. You know, I'm just saying. No, oh, don't worry, man. They're all Keanu Reeves clones after the Matrix. Oh, okay, that's that's fine. That's fine. Long as they're long as they're Agent Smith and Neo clones or whatever. I guess it's okay. God, <laughs> but, but that, uh, was, that was the other thing too. Is like, how are they not killing each other when they're fucking shooting on both sides of the ski lift? Right, right. I, I catch that in movies all the time. I'm like, somebody didn't think about like trajectory of, of the bullets. I'm just saying, it, it doesn't uh, well, it, it doesn't take you out of it too much, but it's a well, classic it, '80s flaw. Right. It's yeah, but you know, the reality of it is, is like these people, you know, obviously don't know how guns work, <laughs> <laughs> which is why I don't want them, you know, telling me my laws because you don't know how things work. You play pretend for a living, and this shows it. <laughs> right uh but i see that in movies so often even in modern day movies not so much anymore but back in the it's 80s just, 90s and beyond this that just, 
it's one of those situations where you point out that it's just it all of these things line up and it's so ridiculous. You just you kind of have to point it out, and nobody ever has on this movie. I've watched a lot of reviewers review this movie, and nobody has nobody's pointed that out. Pointed that out. Well, but we might be the first. Seen. So yay! I mean, if you have, you beat us to it. Cool, whatever. I'm just saying, anything that I've seen, I try not to copy what other people are saying. That's why I watch what people are saying. And this was one of the things that was like, it's so ridiculous and nobody talks about it. Oh, that's funny. It looks like an eight-year-old wrote that. <laughs> it's like, come on, guys. After this, my mom's making us sandwiches and she's going to make Kool-Aid. The cherry right. kind. <laughs> We're not even going to get green death, as we used to call it. Right, uh, Green Death's house is Nightwill. It's not. It's not as ridiculous as when he when Nick gets Lyle and Tector to shoot themselves. When he when he you know he he's using uh, Lyle as a human shield and he gets Tector to shoot gets gets Tector to shoot Lyle, and then Lyle as he's going down and dying he calls him a dumb son of a bitch and then shoots his own brother. So those two guys don't you don't even. Get the see Nick take them out like they take each other out. That's how stupid they are, right? But this is the the one part. I, I was really pumped for this, like when I first saw it, and I was every time I watch this, I get pumped for it, and then I forget how short lived it is when you get show fucking Kasugi, not even show Kasugi, show fucking Kasugi, and and he's so sadly underused, taken out way too fast. Like they have a great fight scene. It was a good, great little final battle between. Uh, Nick and the assassin, but it's over in like ninety seconds. Yeah, it's about it should have. It, it should. And they they could have made that at least a couple of minutes longer. You know, you get somebody as as prestigious as Shogasugi in there, and like at least utilize them. You don't need to use them for sixty seconds because I bet you he's not on camera for more than a minute or two, maybe three minutes if I really timed it out. But uh, yeah, this is where, uh, where we get into the the line that uh, Slag had used in the beginning when he says, you know, that butter knife ain't going to stop no bullet. He shoots Nick in the arm, loses his sword. Fucking Billy tries to help out by throwing him his sword. And, of course, you know, Nick misses it, catches, can't catch it. But he uses Shokasugi's sword and cuts Slag in half in one of the best, like, dissection shots I've ever seen when he cuts Randall Tex Cobb slag in half and he goes flying out the window and as his body's falling it just separates into two pieces as it's falling down this the side of the cliff. That is a just a mwah, chef's kiss. It's such a great shot. And I just wish they would have had something as fitting as a send off for Shokasugi's character. Right. But yeah. I don't know that electrocution in the bathtub scene was pretty cool. It was it was cool it was cool enough, but I just, but I just feel let I, down. The fight should have lasted a lot longer. They should have. I mean, if you've watched like any of like a prime example would be Ninja Scroll the movie. There is a blind swordsman in a bamboo forest that uh, uh, Jubei has to fight, and. That scene is so amazingly awesome 
you know, how good the blind swordsman is. And they that should have been the fight between those two. It should have mimicked the blind swordman versus Jubei from the Ninja Scroll movie. And it really was just so underutilized and so unknown. And it's being, yeah. like I said, because there was just opportunity. There was too many chiefs and not enough Indians. Yeah. Chiefs it's that were it just kind of falls apart than that last in those last moments, I think. And I think also, I think Rutger Hall have just added to the comic value of it. Should have said something about making some toast after he cut that dude down. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that had been a shot. Yeah, I, I do like the shot though when he goes down the side. I don't know how they how they did that back in the day. It was done very well. For, it looks like they had it against the backdrop of a matte painting, so it looked really, really good. And that was essentially the, the, the end of our movie, really. I mean, other than the fact that, uh, you know, Nick is going on a bus ride with, with the, you know, with Annie and Frank and, and, and little Billy, and he decides at the last moment to go off on his own. Now, I've heard a lot of people back in the day, and some of the reviews that I watched and listened to and, and read, a lot of people complaining, saying they don't like the ending, but I get it. It was basically, it was like a Shane meets, you know, Kane and Kung Fu and like every other Western that you could probably think of besides Shane where the lone gunman or the lone swordsman comes into town, he writes the wrongs and goes off on another adventure, which I think that's what they were setting it up for, especially with that long shot, you know, going over the end credits of just Nick walking down the highway. I've read where a lot of people complain about that, but I get the ending. I actually kind of like it that way. I like it better than if it would have went the other direction. Yeah. It would have made no sense for Nick to stick around, you know, if he's a blind swordsman. If he's going to play the motif of the blind swordsman, the wandering vagabond, if you will, then let him be the fucking vagabond. At the end of the movie, that's what he's going to do. He's going to walk away and find somebody else who needs his help or something. Yes. I mean, it's like an A-Team episode. Does the A-Team stick around and, and help rebuild the town? No. They just leave everything in shambles, filled riddled with bullet holes and smoke and fire and go off to create uh, havoc somewhere else. Which I'll tell you right now, the fucking A-team villains couldn't hit the broadside of a fucking barn. I don't know how they fucking... I don't know how they started criminal organizations. <laughs> Very poorly. <laughs> but I, I like the ending. I know a lot of people kind of poop on the ending for, on this one and, and don't really like it, but I, I, I kind of like it. I, I think it was setting it up for more solo Nick adventures, but Unfortunately, we, you know, in a world where we got 10 uh, Fast and the Furious sequels, we only got one Blind Fury movie. So that kind of tells you where we're at with things, which is sad. But uh, yeah. that being said, you know how we do things around here, Eric, because it's like every other show. We uh, do a quick summary with our thoughts and feelings on the film at hand and a rating on a scale from one to 10. So go ahead and have at it, sir. Well, when you make something that's going to hit my wheelhouses and stuff, like action films like uh, Blind Fury is and things that you got to look at everything that's come before it and after it and you know you got to look at the greats and that's that's kind of how I judge every movie that I come across when I'm watching is you know I see basically what it is and then I compare it to what came before it and what came after it to see kind of where it falls in place and Blind Fury, 
for a while there. It was kind of hard, but I kind of know where it is that. And I got to go to one of my favorite films, and that's one of the Up All Night films. One of the first ones I've seen was Kickboxer. Oh, yeah. Kickboxer. Starts out as he just as the basic beat down of the movie. Guy goes to watch his brother fight over in Thailand. Brother gets his ass handed to him in the ring because he's being cocky as shit and gets his back broken because Thailand don't fucking play over there. And so he's out for revenge. So he finds the one person in Thailand that'll train a white person how to kickbox. And it's old school. And this kid throughout 90% of this movie is a training montage to lead up to the one epic fight at the end, Tong Po. And you watch this movie and the journey is so complete from beginning to to finish. And it's just, it's so wrapped up. It's so well-rounded, such a great story. Everything's there. Blind Fury, although it is good, doesn't check all the boxes you know there are great things about it i love the comedy aspect of it i love Rutger Hauer's performance i love the story i love the opening montage what i don't love about it like i said most of it is is that this movie looks like basically what it is an australian director studied a bunch of fucking american movies of action type and Went out to make his career here in America. And this was his first American action film. And he wanted it to be, you know, something that he could get more work off of and be really, really good. And it was. Yeah, uh, I mean, it worked. It got him got him a lot of work in, in after this. But. Like I said, man, and like I said, Dead Calm, amazing. Not insulting the man any way, shape, or form whatsoever. But I can see what it is. Don't deny what it is either. There's so many big names in this movie that are so underutilized. I can't forgive that. That's cinema sin. You know, you've got guys on here that, you know, have action backgrounds of fighting that, you know, you just made them stand around when they could be freaking tearing the room apart with their hands and stuff. But not only that, you've got too many chiefs and not enough Indians. You should have, I mean, yeah, you want some lackeys to kill? Kill some lackeys and throw them at them all day long, but hype up your main villain. You get you should have your main villain, a secondhand man, the main person that they're they're trying to set up the fight. You know, like you got Freddie Lee, you got Freddie Lee's henchmen, which are fucking. They're not really nameable, but they just kind of stand around and do nothing too until the very yeah, end. Yeah, your your general foot soldiers. Yeah, your general foot soldiers that's protecting the main guy. But then you've got a bunch of fucking idiots that they just fucking throw in waves. It's like, yeah, yeah, we'll make you a, a guy. Just go, go do that thing. <laughs> you right. know? Like the there's Lyle still, brothers. Or right. the, the, the Pike brothers, I mean. There's just there's just too many there's just too many things that I can't forgive on this movie. 
like that is one of them. That and the friggin' the lift scene that looks like it's written by an eight year old. The comedy's great, the action's great when it comes, you know. But that fight scene at the end, you've got an actor that is a legend and has been in so much stuff, and he has the background to be such a great villain, and you just put him in there for 90 seconds. That's, that's so rough. It, 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 it's almost, I dare say, insulting. There, there was more, there was more traveling in this movie than there was bad guy villain usage. <laughs> so you could have cut most of those guys out and put a little more meat and potatoes into your friggin' stew. <laughs> right, right. You know, so I mean, I love it. It's a great film, but I'm I'm coming in like six out of ten. That's that's fair. That's fair. And I kind of see what you're saying now when you said it feels like, uh, you know, someone outside the system trying to do their version of what they think uh, an American action movie in the 80s was supposed to be. And, but it is a bit uh, heavy on the, the traveling and, of Nick and Billy constantly trying to get to Reno or trying to get, you know, to Frank. And, it, you know, for as much as I love some of the action sequences in the last third of this movie, you know, like I said, it does have a very tight third act, but it's just, it commits two, two movie sins. One, it does get a little bit boring in spots when, when it's centered so much on Billy, because I just, I don't find the Billy character to be all that interesting or all that endearing. He's just an annoying, you know, an annoying little kid. And I know that's the way he was supposed to be portrayed because, you know, he's supposed to be, quote unquote, troubled and whatnot. But it he gets does, a little. Huh? He, do, he does it well. He does. Yeah, he does it, it well. He does does it well, especially when he hands him that fucking. Oh, you want a piece of candy? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he gives him the rock. <laughs> he spits that stone in him, gives him a fucking welt, little shit. And he deserved it. Yeah, he does. And when he's every... flipping him off as the blind man, hi, bye, Mr. Parker. Nice to meet you, Mr. Parker. And he's like, yeah. Fucking nice to meet you too, you little asshole. If you're gonna put children in your movie, man, you gotta make sure that they can act well. And this kid is kind of ham-fisted at it. Yeah, yeah, he's not the greatest. He's he is certainly not the worst I've ever seen because no, I've seen a lot worse. I'm very I just, critical of child actors. Though. Oh yeah, me too. I, I I find nine out of ten kid actors really bring things down for me. Yes. But. But yeah, he he brings things down. He makes things a little boring when it centers so much on him, and the underutilization of the of some some of the you know the the characters are like you know somebody again having somebody like Meg Foster in the movie and using her for one scene, having Sugi in it and having using him for one scene. It's just like I said, it's almost it borders on almost being a little insulting. I I can't I can't fault the movie too hard for it because you know it was uh noise's uh, first american film so maybe he felt he had to go big or go home and you know he tried to put in his you know try to put all his eggs into one basket so to speak and so i understand it rooker howard though is great in it you know everybody does their job very well rooker howard gives one of his one of his most nuanced performances i i think he really you know gets noticed for you know blade runner and the hitcher rightly so but i think this one stands out as like a top five performance for me because like i believe that he's blind and it doesn't surprise me that there's searches on 
you know, Google for people that are like, are just, you know, Rooker Hauer really blind because he pulls it off very, very convincingly. Rooker Hauer's performance is what brings my rating to a six on this movie. If Rooker Hauer had not been in this movie and probably been maybe a three or a four. Uh, see, I couldn't, I can't give it the, quite that low. Um, I mean, I would probably give it a much lower rating than what I'm giving it if it hadn't had Rooker Hauer in it. I think anybody else in that it wouldn't have done good. I can't see what anybody else doing this and it being near as good. I just oh, yeah, me it. me either. I can't see that. That's why I'm I'm giving it a seven and a half. So I'm coming in one one point higher than you. But if I I be honest, if, if it didn't have Rooker Howard, it'd probably be a five, maybe five and a half. It's elevated at least a two two full points just for having Rooker in it. Yeah. But you know, it's it's still classic. You know, it's 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 classic eighties. It's got a lot of uh, you know, it checks a lot of the boxes, but not all of the boxes. It's uh, yeah, like know, I said, it, it's good. It's, it's very good. good. But without Rooker, you know, with Rooker Howard not in it, it would have just been so so. That's what I can put it. I it's, see. I just I don't know because I can't think of anybody else during the eighty nine period that, that was shot that would have done that at that time because that was literally when i mean action movies were starting to go out and the ones that were still available at this point were watching very closely what they had done i don't know i think christopher lambert the highlander probably could have made a good run at it if they could have got yeah yeah and at that point 89 that's highlander 2 era they were filming it Time, I think. Um, I think so. I think Highlander Two was nineteen ninety, so it would have been within, you know, uh, or nineteen ninety, nineteen ninety one. So I mean, like, it would have only been a year and a half, two years after this was made. So yeah, he yeah, was I still. I saw. I don't know. I it, it, it's, it'd it's be still, hard. It'd yeah. be a hard cast without him. It'd be a hard sell I, for me. It would. And you know, the, I can't imagine anybody. Uh, to be quite honest, I can't imagine anybody else in the role. It's just like with a lot of Howard stuff, he makes it all his. You know, when he when he's in it. And so, yeah, like and, yeah. But that's what makes Rutger Howard such a great actor, is because when he gets in a role, he doesn't phone it in. He doesn't ham fist stuff unless it calls for ham fisting. He's he's a genuinely good dude. He takes on a project and he fully fucking do it. And that's why he's probably one of the best actors in the world. I couldn't say it any better myself, sir. I think we're going to leave it at that. Because there's really nothing else you can say that's not a more glowing uh, glowing endorsement of uh, Howard's work, I'd say. But well, yeah, I think that being said, we'll put a pin in this one for the evening. I want to thank you for taking a couple hours out of your, your Saturday afternoon to, to do this one with me. I know you, we already did, uh, you know, split second, but, you know, there's no, no accounting for taste. You know, we like Rick Hauer. We can do as many of these as we want. <laughs> February, there was a man that deserved to be honored as much. There, and has such great films to be honored as well. Agreed, agreed. I've, I've had this one in my back pocket for a long time, ever since I pretty much started uh, – Cinema Degeneration. I knew I wanted to do something dedicated to Rucker Howard. Just yeah, you no. Know, just took me two years to figure it out. Well, you yeah. know, <laughs> some of the best times. Blades 
some of the best laid plans take forever. Exactly, exactly. Well, folks, I want to thank you all for listening that are there at home listening to our show. Uh, if you want to help us out at Cinema Degeneration, uh, like our links, click subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcast. We are on Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, iHeart, Apple, Amazon. You name it, we are there wherever you get your podcasts. So click on the links, share them, download them, rate them, review them, all those good things that you can do to help us podcasters out. We greatly appreciate it. And you have been listening to us here at Cinema Degenerations, Rucker Hauer Appreciation Month. We have been reviewing and dissecting Blind Fury from 1989. As always, thanks for listening, folks. If you can't handle it, get me somebody that can. Get me Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee is dead. Then get his brother. Do it, Ed. God damn it, just do it. <laughs>